welcome to today's episode of the Group Therapy Podcast. Today we bring a, a friend, a, a, a really cool guy, um, Jay Roman. Uh, Jay has been uh, in the music scene for a while, been in the wrestling scene for a while, do a lot of shit. So, um, Jay, tell us about yourself. Well, first and foremost, I appreciate you having me on. We've only been trying to figure this out for a year and a half, it seems like. They're about, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're just, hey, you should come on the show. Yeah, definitely should. And now we finally yeah, do. About Friday, not busy. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. hey, life happens. Life happens. Yep, yep. Yeah, so so um, I, I've been in the area that you've been in pretty much my entire life, the Troy, Ohio type area and all that stuff. Uh, well, really the 937-513 my whole life. So I've never left ohio as like a place to live so first and foremost ohio is home yep. um with that being said um with ohio also being home there's not a lot of shit to do out there um so you know you you find especially when we were growing up um back in the 90s you know this area has developed a lot now but before there was nothing and you know obviously this is you know pre-internet so i was always into video games but i was also into music as a little kid and it would get to a point where I was one of those weird kids who would be playing the NES, but I'd have the music on at the same time at both volumes going because I wanted to listen to the game music, but I also wanted to listen to the radio, which was at the time Z93 for everybody locally. Everybody remembers Z93. That was the station, right? Yep. And uh, my Fridays and Saturdays were mostly when I wasn't you know, out being out with friends or doing stuff with my family. My my Fridays and Saturdays would be centered around listening to Z93 and the Top 8 at 8, and uh, I would be obsessed with that. The Top 8 at 8 was always my favorite thing, and I would have um, I would have cassette tapes ready so when my favorite song would go on, I'd hit record real fast because, again, for the younger audience here, once upon a time, that was one of the free ways. It wasn't downloading or streaming. You had to get, uh, you had to get cassette, boom, right there, right there in his hand. You had to get a cassette tape. And press record from the radio, and that's how you got it. Or splice it if you had the double yep. deck. You had a had a couple a couple hundred bucks back then. But um, so it was kind of my obsession with both video games and music were always tied hand to hand, and even to this day, you know, it it, it stayed that way. But that's how I got into music because I loved listening to songs and how it made me feel. Um, and then as a teenager, there was this local place called uh, the Avenue, which was a Christian hangout center. And again, nothing to do in Ohio back then, uh, beginning stages of the internet. So you just you went where you could, right? Yep. And and that was it was it started off as kind of like a, a place where this um local church did it to where teens could go and, and have a safe place to have fun because it was a lot closer to Dayton than obviously Troy was or whatever. And that was their main goal was to try to get kids off the street and and bring them into this establishment where they could just have have a safe space to have fun. And um it, it worked really well. At, at first, it was just like a little dance floor in the corner of a room uh, that was just like extra storage space, kind of. And then, for some reason, I, I ended up making friends with some of the people that worked there and that were playing the music. And I was, I think I was 14 at the time. I know I, I couldn't drive yet. But I just went to the lady who was playing the music, and I was like, hey, can I do this next Saturday? I'd love to play my hands. Because I would always, again... I would, I would be playing DJ as a little kid with the, these tapes and everything. And I always knew that I could make good tapes that would flow well. Yeah. And um, she was like, yeah, sure, come on back. Because I just don't think she wanted to do it. But it, the very next week, um, 
I had did it. I, I did it all night. And then I was that from that point on, I was the DJ for the next two to three years. I, I don't remember what the time frame was exactly, but anytime I wanted to DJ, they let me because I was so good at keeping the flow going. And that's what a lot of people don't understand when you go to clubs and bars, uh, a lot of DJs, I mean, rather there's a flow when it comes to that kind of stuff, you know, you don't go from slow song to super fast song. you have to. And that's something I was always able to, yeah, keep, keep real good, uh, uh, track of how the flow goes and you got to read the room too yeah, if the yeah. song comes on and everybody's like oh and you start to see him kind of disperse you're like okay you know you gotta you gotta cut this off somehow you gotta pay attention to that kind of thing and i was able to do that at a really young age so they let me do it for a couple of years but about i don't know three months or so into it uh the movie eight mile came out and um i had never performed for anybody i never even wrote down a song but i remember eight mile was real big and uh I knew I could uh, sing a little bit at the time, uh, but I was uh, at that, this point in time, I was getting really big in the ICP and not the rap uh, the, for Insane Clown Posse, if for those who were, live under a rock. But I used to get really, really heavy into them around that time. And I just, I wanted to try my hand at rapping. So the same exact way where I asked her if I could DJ, I was like, hey, can we do a freestyle session? And she said, sure, don't see why not. So that ended up turning into me meeting a couple people, and um, they kind of showed me the, the the very very basics of of how to uh, rap almost. But it wasn't; it was pretty crappy because the people I was with were pretty low tier with me at the same time. Not to, to diss them either, but this was long before you could get in somewhere or go to your basement and record a track to practice. Yeah. Like everybody was garbage because we didn't have a way to perf uh, to perfect the craft, right? Yep. So it was real low level stuff, but that's how I got started. I was working when I was 16. I had to get a job to pay for car insurance. I ended up working at East Chicago Pizza with uh, two people that were in a band at the time called Day in the Life. Now, what Day in the Life ended up becoming was Hawthorne Heights. So I, when I was working at East Chicago, they were working there too. And we uh, ended up becoming friends, uh, pretty close friends. Uh, and um, you know, I was one of the first people they told they got signed to Victory Records. So I've always got that to kind of hang over. It was kind of a cool moment to see them. And then they went off and, and MTV and blew up. It was so awesome. But I made real good friends with Micah Carley, who was one of their original uh, guitarists. Um, he's no longer with the group now. But he ended up um, going to a place called Inter International College of Broadcasting, which is here locally, and ended up turning his uh, mom's basement into a recording studio. And it was very professional stuff. And he actually let me come. He charged me, which was fine. I had no problem with that. But um, he let me go down to his basement and record tracks at 16. So that's how I really started to learn. And he showed me the ropes to kind of like, okay, this is, you know, cadence and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's when I really started to be able to dive in and get, uh, get my recording uh, uh, feet underneath me and learn all that. Um, there was about a 10-year time period shortly. Well, I, I shouldn't say 10 years. It's probably closer to eight. Um I was real heavy into it, trying to do it. You know, it was the typical local rapper stuff. But yeah. my sister my sister ended up passing away in 06, and that kind of derailed everything. Um, she was one of my biggest supporters, came to every single show I did, and it just it didn't completely jar it out of me. But there was so much life-changing stuff that happened around that time. I ended up getting in a relationship with somebody who was very toxic around the same time. Um, super jealous, so I knew there was no way in hell I was going to be able to do what I needed to do and do any kind of music and be around this person who constantly was, you know, she was insanely clean, and um, it would be one of those things where I'd be out with friends at a, a B-dubs 
fantasy football draft or something, and I get three phone calls within two hours. What are you doing? Da -da -da -da. And I, I just knew there was no way it could ever happen, so I ended up cutting off music completely. And I lost a lot of passion for it in general, too, because that was a very really strange period of music from really 04 to about 2012. It was, I mean, think of a classic song that came out from that era. You can't do it. There isn't. It, it, it was a very dead period in music, right? So I just, I and, and I didn't have much inspiration. I got it out of ICP, and uh, Linkin Park was another big inspiration for me because I liked the, uh, the new metal rapping sound. Um, which will come in future here shortly in the story. Yeah. But um, they were a big uh, influence on me too. And at the time, Minutes to Midnight had dropped. And I think after Minutes to Midnight had dropped, I was like, this is not the sound that I liked from them. It was more of a rock as opposed to a new metal sound. And it just kept, they, they kept going further that way. So my fandom was kind of dead for them at that point in time. Um, and I just didn't have a lot of motivation to keep me going. I ended up getting out of that toxic relationship I was referring to. And um, at that point in time, uh, I'd never seen ICP live to this point. It was a 2010, I think, um, 2010 or 2011. I don't remember. But uh, I was like, it was a bucket list thing at that point. I'm like, listen, I, I'm out of music, but I've got to see ICP at least once, which is hilarious to think of because I've seen them a bajillion times since. But this was going to be my last time doing anything ICP, right? And uh, they were at Columbus for a Hollow Wicked, and it it was it was only them and Zug uh, was it Zug Island? Yeah, them Zug Island and um, a guy by the name of Cold One Eight Seven who didn't last with the label very long. They were the only ones that um, were uh, announced for the show. But I knew that there was always surprises, so I'm like, yeah, I got to go with this one. So I ended up going, um, and I got VIP passes to meet them because I figured this is my last concert ever again hilarious but this is my last concert ever um i gotta at least meet them once right so it was like i checked off the box of meeting them before the show which was again childhood dream but then the show started and zug island was okay cold 187 was not very good but i remember uh them opening the curtain and there was a big sign that said drive by and what drive by was drive by was blaze your dead homie and abk's group that they had at the time and they still do, but that, I think it was fairly new around that time. And the, the feeling that I got from that was like, you know, the, the, the vibe of excitement that everybody was there for. And I just got caught up in it. And they, did, they killed it. Even to this day, I think that was the best set I've ever seen both of them do. Then ICP gets on stage. And I, I, there's this moment, and it's going to sound like I'm making this up, but it really happened. There's this moment where I'm in the pit rapping along to the ICP song, Dead Pumpkins. And it was like everyone that was around me, the pit stopped. I'm sitting here rapping along to the lyrics and everyone around me has stopped and stared at me. And I'm kind of like, oh, this is a dope feeling right now. At that moment, I was like, I got to give it one more shot. If I don't, if I don't, if I don't try everything I've got to try to pull this off and make something out of this dream I've had since I was a little kid, 14 years old in this club, I'm going to hate myself forever. And I remember driving home that night thinking this. And now it was at that moment where I thought, this is where, this is where I tried. And that's exactly what I did. Ended up going down to Cincinnati, uh, recording with somebody. His name's Elliot Slaughter, one of the 
the nicest, most talented uh, producers I've ever, um, ever came across. He's in, based out of Cincinnati. He's on Facebook. If you're a recorder in the area, look him up. You're going to get great professional sound. He's not paying me to say that. I'm just highly recommended. He's a really good guy. Very smart individual. Ended up recording a little four-track EP. And what's funny about it was is I didn't like it. And the girl I was dating at the time, she actually, I was like, listen, just give me your honest opinion about this. I don't care if you don't like it. I just need to know if you don't. And she goes, I honestly don't think these are very good. I was like, okay, I'll tell you what. I'm just going to put them out. I spent the money on it. I'm not a big fan of these either. I'm just going to put them out, and then I'll be done with it. And this will be my the, my the quickest comeback anybody's ever made. I could just say, yes, I put something else out, right? People actually liked it, which made it hard to perform these songs because I hated them. And I already had like this mindset of I didn't like it, right? Well, that that's I don't want to uh, cut you off, but that's really common. Like yeah. the songs, like people that that the songs that people as an audience love are usually the ones that are hated by the bands, right? Absolutely, and that is so super common. I did not realize how common that was up until relatively recently. And you're finding out like these big hits that people had, and they're like, I "Fucking hate that song." I yeah, wrote it no like five minutes on the toilet. For it. You know, you're like, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, it, it was um, at the at that point when that happened, and that people were, I was getting messages from people. I was getting comments of people like, "Oh my god, I'm so glad you're back." Out of people that have been following me since I was young, and um, I'm like, "Fuck it, I'm going with this." So I ended up putting my all into it so much that it actually broke up the relationship that I was in at the time. I had ended up moving. I was living in New Bremen, which was about an hour north from where I'm at now. And uh, it just, it, I, I was putting literally so much of my life into it. I was missing everything else. It was actually kind of crappy for the situation because there were kids involved. And I'd made this, um, if not my kids, it was hers. And then, you know, I'd made the commitment to kind of, you know, be more attentive in their lives. And I wasn't doing it. So I knew a, if I was going to continue doing this the way I had, I was doing it. I had to get away from it. So it sucks that it ended that way, but you know, it is what it is. But that was also the reason why I bring that up was because that was another motivation for me was I just broke someone's heart and left everything behind that I committed to. This has got to work out because I had sacrificed so much and I'd hurt some people in the process. I've got to make this work. So I don't hate myself for doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, yeah. So I ended up putting my all into it, ended up forming a group. Um, and we were doing shows locally. And I was like, okay, we got to level up our game here. So we ended up, uh, uh, I was working with some people at the time. Uh, there were a group called Mass Murder Media. And they were doing shows out of this place. There's no longer there. It was in Cleveland. It was a legendary venue called Peabody's. And um, they were doing shows up there, and I, and I was like, hey, how'd you guys get on to this? And they just kind of hooked me up with the contact information. Peabody's ended up getting shut down, so I was only able to play there once. But the place they moved to is now called the Agora Theater. It's a pretty famous theater in uh, Colum uh, I'm sorry, Cleveland. Cleveland. And um, so I ended up starting doing shows there. The very first show that I did there was a 3-6 Mafia show, and it was amazing. We ended up selling so many tickets that we were on second on main stage before the main touring act was on, which there was a couple thousand people in the building. From at the time, we were only playing dive bars for like 50, 60 people, right? And then we go from that to, to selling tickets um, to the show with a couple thousand people. It was kind of like, hey, we leveled up, right? It was a 3-6 Mafia's tour when they were just the Mafia 6 or whatever. But... um. Anyway, so we ended up doing that show. We're on a high. We come back, 
And I'm like, hey, this went great. I'm going to see what I can get onto next. The next show we did, I think it was about six months later. Uh, I remember it was in November. It was a Bone Thugs and Harmony show. Now, we didn't sell as many tickets to that one, which was okay because we still just wanted to be a part of it, right? Well, I ended up getting screwed over, me and the group did, because the person who was uh, the DJ was in a bad mood, obviously, didn't want to play our music. He was playing two tracks at once. And we're sitting here, we keep looking back at the guy like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just playing one. And then suddenly I look over at one point, we're about two songs in, and we've only got four. So two of our songs are already ruined because this dude's playing two songs at once. And if suddenly it stops, and I look back, and I see his finger come up off the board. I'm like, this son of a bitch was playing two songs at once. So I stopped the promoter, who I've only had one interaction uh, with to this at this point in time, in which I didn't have any problems with before. But I ended up stopping him. I was like, hey, man, I don't want my money back. I, I just want you to be aware of this because this happened to us. And uh, um, this DJ, I told him the story of what happened. And, and this dude looks at me in the eye and goes, Nah, I don't believe that would happen. I was like, well, I'm not making it up. And it's not like I'm sitting here asking you for my money back. Like, I'm just trying to tell you this happened. He goes, well, what do you want me to do about it? I got no time. And turns around and walks away from me. Ruined the rest of my night. Bone Thugs and Harmony was actually, they fucking killed it. It was one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. But I was so brought down by that moment. Like, this is how it's going to be if I keep going down this route. So only two shows in to sell tickets. And I'm already like, we got to hit the reverse button on this immediately. So I'm again, I'm the same the same way. This is about three or three years after, three or four years after, uh, after the um, the ICP show that I attended. So same thing that happened with the ICP show. I'm driving at home and I'm thinking to myself, how can I improve my situation here? And it dawned on me, I need to book my own shows. So it, February comes around, tax time, tax time comes around, and I ended up spending my entire tax return to book a show at Odd Bodies in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, I linked up with Nielsen Hickson, local legend, excuse me, and he had owned this building called Odd Bodies. It was about a 500 capacity building. Um, unfortunately, it's no longer long, uh, around anymore because they had to sell the building to somebody who was shady, but that's another story. But I ended up getting to, together with the Odd Bodies group and said, hey, I, I would really like to uh, I'd really like to book a show here. But what's funny about that is, is about a year prior, I wanted to book like a local show there. And they told me, we don't have rap insurance, so we can't do it. I actually got on Facebook and started talking shit about them. It was like, oh, they they can't just tell somebody no. They got to lie and say they don't have rap insurance, and that's why they can't do the show. Well, it turns out rap insurance is actually a real thing, and I got schooled at that point. Actually, one of the owners now, I still uh, associate him with him on a daily basis, and every once in a while, he'll be like, hey, remember rap insurance? I'm like, yeah, I got to eat that one forever. I was totally wrong. I was an ignorant ass know-it-all and uh, got schooled by that one. But um, anyway, so the fast forward a year, they took mercy on me, and I'll, I'll be ever great, forever grateful for Nielsen, Nielsen Hickson for giving me this opportunity because he very well he knew I was talking shit about him and his organization. I mean, yeah, it wasn't yeah. a secret, and he still was like, "Yeah, come on in. You know, it's fine. We're gonna give you this shot." Just out of the kindness of his heart, he could have been like, "Fuck you for talking shit about us. We're not giving you any opportunity." And this, yeah, I've known Nielsen ever. He's he's a cool cat. Uh, he is. Yeah. One of the best dudes I've ever met in my life and um, gave me the opportunity. I ended up booking anybody killer because it just so happens that he was around the time I got my tax return was booking his April Fool's fooling tour. And um, I was like, great. You know, he's somebody I've looked up to again, rewind to the ICP show. That ICP show is very important in my history because that was like a sign to me. He was there for the show that made me come back. 
I've got to pull this off one way or the other. Um, didn't make a lot of money off of it because I, I, I broke even. I was very stupid in the business. I accepted something called a back-end deal, which is fairly common for uh, promoters, but not for promoters of ABK size. No offense to ABK, but he doesn't pull crowds like that. I should have never, never agreed to that, but I had no idea that that was even a thing. Yeah. Um, so I didn't make a lot of money off of it. But the night was very successful. It was one of the most successful nights on their tour. We packed the place out on a Wednesday, which is just unheard of. From there, I ended up working with Odd Bodies for about the next four years. But in the first six months, we had gone from booking a show with ABK that pulled about 220 people. In October, I'm booking Twisted, which the, the rise in that is insane. Absolutely insane in six months because we sold out. Within six months, we were going from half the room filled to that, you know, and that's a yeah. big deal. That's, a lot of promoters have got to work for years before they have that kind of a success. And when I was able to do it in six months, I found out I was very good at running shows. Again, going back to the DJ vibe. Yeah. When you're, when you're at a show, and this is a lot of things that people mistake when they run their own shows, the background music you play is very important, very important, because it can set the tone for the entire room. And I try to stress this with anybody when it comes to shows, whether I'm running them or somebody else is just asking, you know, for advice on things. The background music that you play at the show is just as important as the, the headline, because that's what's going to be playing throughout when people walk in the door and when they walk out. And you've got to set that tone. It's got to be fun. It's got to be uplifting. You have to go through an entire catalog, you know? Yeah. Well, um, I like going to them when they, when, uh, um, down at Bogarts, they tend to play like in the middle between bands. Neil Diamond, and yes, everybody gets into it. They're like that, that, that. One of the coolest, one of the coolest instances um, of that exact same thing. I was working security, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but I was working security for Odd Bodies when Devil Driver was there, and the entire night they were playing Earth, Wind, and Fire. And everybody was just partying, having a good time. Earth, Wind, and Fire at a Devil Driver show. I think it was Devil Driver, uh, Fallujah, uh, Death Angel, I think, was the co-headliner tour. So all these super heavy uh, bands were there. And the crowd was having fun to Earth, Wind, oh, yeah. and Fire. Very important. Very important to the process. But anyway, so uh, I forget where I was at. Let me under that tangent. But that's, that's where I, I learned to, A, not only... Yeah, yeah. It, everything came full circle for me at Odd Body. So I uh, got a lot of success thrown at me very fast. Um, a little too fast. There was a lot of growing pains after that Twisted show where I had to kind of get my mentality back in check because at that point I didn't realize just how many snakes there were locally when it came to who's going to be chomping at your, your feet to take the momentum that you, know, you had started. And there was a lot of them. Even to this day, nobody's been able to replicate what I've been able to do in such a short period of time. Um, and I am, I, I'm not, I'm a pretty humble dude when it comes to my accomplishments. I know how to run a fucking successful show and to promote a successful show. There's a reason why I was able to take a thousand dollars and turn it into a career that ended up getting me across the country three times, you know, but um, anyway, so I, I ended up taking uh, the, that momentum. I was asked by a local band uh, that had been in the underground for years and years and years. I was actually jealous of these guys at one point in time, and I, I've told them this before. They were called Menace to Sobriety. And they were playing, uh, Menace uh, was playing Gathering of the Juggalos on the main stage at the height of the Gathering of the Juggalo area, era in like 08, 09. And I would see it on Facebook and just, God, I'm so, I hate these guys. And it was all out of jealousy, right? I'm 100% out of jealousy. I've told them that before. 
because they were living what I wanted to do, you know, and I wasn't doing music at the time. So fast forward, I'd started making all this noise and date that it caught their attention. And they were kind of, they had been on a couple year hiatus at this point in time, but they were looking to get back in around the same time I was starting this. So I ended up making friends with them while this, the six month period in between when I started in October, I ended up making, booking them for a show becoming friends with him and everything. And then one morning I get a phone call from Doc, who was the lead singer. And he was like, hey, uh, his exact words were, how would you like to be a part of one of the best bands in Ohio? And in the back of my head, I'm like, who the fuck is he talking about? Because there's no way, like, not to say that it wouldn't be them, but they were such a tight unit. I'm like, he can't be talking about me because I don't play an instrument. And the two vocalists do such a great job with each other. There's no way that's what he's asking for. This goes over my head within a split second, right? And I was like, well, what, what's going on? And he informs me that they were getting, they were gearing back up to really start making a, a push to, to give it, based kind of how I was, where it's like, I got to give this one more try. And the vocalist at the time named uh, Johnny O, he wasn't willing to do what they wanted to do as far as traveling was. He had a family and they were looking to buy on at the time. They were looking to buy on to the Tech Nine tour. Uh, well, the band was, I wasn't, they were. And Ryan, did, Ryan being Johnny O, uh, Ryan is his real name. Um, he didn't want to go on a tour, which is hilarious because uh, I ended up taking his spot in the band. And the tour we ended up going on was my first tour, very first tour. It was a, a Twisted, uh, their Spooktacular Horror Show tour. Ryan actually came back to the band and we were a three headed unit and he still went on the tour that he originally quit for. So <laughs> I make fun of him like, Hey, ain't you even that? You're supposed to be at home. You're not supposed to be here. But, um, so that's how I got in was he didn't want to do the tour. Uh, so I took his spot and I had, a, again, a lot of growing pains because at that point in time, I learned more time, uh, I learned more skills musically being with Menace than I had ever in my entire life. I had a big growing curve. It took me about a year to kind of hone my skills to the point where it wasn't embarrassing. And so that's why they ended up asking Ryan to come back because Ryan saw a lot of these, um, a lot of these shows that we were doing. There were a lot of sellouts in, in Columbus. We were doing, a, we were traveling to Michigan. A lot of them were a lot of sellouts. We were playing to a lot of people. And um, he saw the success and was like, okay, yeah, I'd kind of like to come back. And I don't blame him because if I saw, you know, a band that I wasn't sure was going to be successful, start to get these, you know, moves and somebody like me was struggling. I don't blame him for trying to take his spot back if he wanted it. Uh, there was no heat there at all, you know, and people thought it was, I, it's funny because I got sat down and talked to him and I was kind of like, okay, cool. You know, because I knew I was, I was struggling. I didn't want to lose my position, but I knew I would have to work for it, right? Yeah, you try harder. Yeah, I would just have to try harder. And that's exactly what happened. He put him being there, pushed me to be better. Um, so I learned more m with my time with that band than I did anybody else. And, and again, we ended up going on my very first tour. It was a 35-day run or something like that. Maybe maybe more, maybe a little bit less. I don't remember exactly. But it was with Twisted, Mac Lethal, Blaze Your Dead Homie, and ROC's group uh, called Zodiac Imprint. Um, it was, I described this tour like this. It was the best worst funnest shittiest ride i've ever been on in my life this one tour uh, we every time we get together and talk about this we bring up new shit i mean it's it was we died almost died multiple times on this tour there were shows where uh literally we pulled up to the venue played and left because we read this rv had given us so many problems i'm not over exaggerating paul every single day that rv broke down and we had to fix something by day three we had a cracked radio and when, I remember we were in, yeah, we were in uh, California 
and we could we there was only one radiator shop locally and they said yeah we can get you one but it's going to take another week and at that point we can't we can't hang out in california for nope. a week right but luckily the, the crack was at the top of the radiator so we were like okay we can't just keep dumping money into this radiator so we'll only drive at night and use water unless we're in the desert because it gets too cold we can't use water in the desert right so we we're thinking okay cool that'll be the, the last of our, our concerns we probably switched every tire at least three times over i think if it wasn't for the that rv we would have came back with 10 grand cash this the, it was one of the craziest rides and it, don't get me wrong we had a lot of good times on that tour there was a lot of uh we played a couple different stadium shows on the west coast i'd never been on the west coast that was my first time being in like california nevada arizona new mexico i'd never texas i've never been to any of these spots before right so all that was cool but it bankrupted so while we did get a bunch of uh, uh, recognition from this tour, and um, we created a lot of a lot of good connects at that point, uh, we we ended up becoming friends with all the Twisted staff. Twisted themselves was you know we're telling people like you guys killed it on this tour. Blaze ended up stopping me at the end like man you guys did it you know there's been tours where I've been through less than you guys were and I called out, you know? So he was, you know, saw everything we went through. We got so many props with this tour. We had no money after the fact. And it, we, it's, it was tough because we had all this momentum, nothing to do with it. We couldn't print merch because unfortunately, and I don't think he would take this personally. So I'm okay with saying this. Doc was very picky on the product that we put out. And every time I try to convince him, we have no money right now. We have to, we have to suffer on quality just to get something out there and kind of build up our bankroll. He didn't want to do it. If it wasn't the best quality, it wasn't going out. And it's yeah. his band. That's yeah. okay. You know, that's his decision. I just was, I, I ended up working to the point where um, the manager of the band at the time, his name is Voodoo. He's a real piece of shit. I didn't like this guy at all. And I would tell him to his fucking face. Um, and I, he's not going to be watching this because he's got no love for me either. But he didn't like the fact that I didn't like how perfectionist that he was. He was over perfectionist, like a project that we would have to do. I would send him um, a, a graphic or something and he would send it back and go, that comma needs to go down two centimeters. So I would have to completely re-render this, uh, this project for one fucking comma. And it would take hours to get this stuff you know, done. And then he'd go, uh, no, bump it up one centimeter. Like that kind of picky shit that nobody in the underground music scene gives a fuck no, about. So we bit, we butt heads constantly, right? And it got to a point where I eventually had to tell him, nobody gives a fuck. Like, if we're, we're doing track records here, mine's way better than yours because I've actually had success with my way. You've had virtually none. He didn't like that. So, and it wasn't exactly in those words. I am embellishing it a little bit because I've been long-winded as it is. But um, that was the gist of it. And he quit, and I took over. Uh, the, the band manager, it was funny, Doc called me and said, well, Voodoo quit. I guess you're taking the spot. Okay, cool. So I ended up becoming the de facto manager for uh, the band. Um, something happened, and again, this isn't an insult to Ryan, but we were ended up recording. Uh, there was a, a record contract, and I've never said this publicly, but I'm going to say it now because it doesn't matter. We had a record contract on the table with Twisted after that first tour, and they wanted us to come on board, but they didn't know how to use us. So we needed to get some kind of EP together as quick as possible and record it. So that March comes, and they had actually asked me, Twisted, being, they being Twisted. Um, asked me to come in and drive their budget truck for a tour because the guy that normally did it couldn't do it. And they will, they asked if anybody in the group would want to do it. And it was like two, two weeks out before this tour and they trusted us again. We yeah. built that relationship where they knew that we were hard workers. 
So I got a call from Twist's drummer, and he was like, hey, do any of you guys want to do this? And I was like, I didn't even ask any of the other guys. I was like, fuck it, I'll do it. So I ended up leaving my now wife within two weeks' notice. My, my job was cool enough at the time where I was like, listen, I'm doing this. And I didn't ask. Them. I said, I'm doing this. And they were like, yeah, go ahead. We'll talk when you get back. I was like, all right, cool. Um, so I ended up driving for them on this tour to kind of build build that relationship yeah. even more. I was so motivated the day we were supposed to leave to go to Baltimore. I was supposed to drive from Mich- Dearborn, Michigan, all the way to Baltimore in one night, which was fine, uh, with all their stuff. I had to beat the tour bus there for the day after. My dad actually passed away that day. I didn't give a fuck. The only thing that would have kept me from going is if something happened to uh, my wife, my mom, my sister, her kids, or anything like that, right? Anything else didn't matter. So I ended up missing my dad's funeral, basically, to go on this tour. I was I, That's how motivated I was to get this done. So halfway through the tour, I knew the guys were back home recording all this material that we're trying to send to Twisted. I get a phone call from Doc, and Doc's like, man, we're at the studio. Ryan is shitting the bed. This is some of the worst stuff he's ever done. Ryan is one of the most talented guys I've ever seen vocally, heard, perform, whatever. He's top tier. But if he ain't motivated, he ain't fucking doing it. And I think he would agree with that. And I don't think he was motivated. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. I don't know. He's one of those guys who's so good that once he's performing at a top tier level, he doesn't want to do it because it's no longer a challenge. And the guy's a legit genius, but well, is, a lot of go ahead. is he one of them guys that, that what is it uh, afraid of a uh, fear of success? Maybe that that one that that kind of I know people like that 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 it could be yeah that that are on the verge. All they gotta do is get that little bump, and they're like they they almost panic because yeah. they're like I'm successful now. If I can't fucking handle that. Could you know. be. Yeah, that, that could be. That could be. But either way it goes, it was very confusing. But um, Doc had to make a decision and went to Ryan and said, hey, listen, we're going to put Jay in some of these spots that you wrapped. And Ryan, I don't know what made him feel this way. I don't really care what made him feel this way. It's water under the bridge. But Ryan said, if you replace me with Jay, I quit. So Doc said, I guess you quit. So that ended up putting us behind about a good month and a half, four months. The window that we had in that time to get this material to Twisted's label, Magic Ninja Entertainment, closed when between the delay that took us to get this out and when we finally submitted it, they were starting to go through financial troubles hard. And I think they started to freak out because when ICP had a band, they couldn't figure out how to pay these people because underground music works great if you're a rapper in that scene. If you're a band, not so much. Um, the chunk that comes in is not a whole lot to split up. So I think they started to panic when they had financial issues that they, we didn't know what to do. You know, they didn't know what to do with us. So a couple of years go by and they were, I kind of felt like they were stringing us along. So eventually I ended up calling them out, uh, him being George, who was a, uh, the, uh, the the CEO, if you will, of Magic Ninja Entertainment. I kind of had to call him out because uh, I, I was like, listen, you need to tell us something here because we spent the last two years courting you guys. If this is going to happen, we need to know. And he ended up getting back to me and saying, I'm sorry, we just can't make this work. I was devastated for about two weeks. Um, it, it hit me really hard. We ended up losing our drummer at that time uh, because I, I think everybody started to realize that, you know, we put all of our eggs in one basket, this this basket of building this relationship with this group. 
who was stringing us along. Um, because, and they were stringing us along because I was one of the only people in the country they could go to and they would get a sellout show or close to it. They, Twisted was not doing good business at the time. Um, this was when the whole controversy started, when Twisted and ICP really started button heads. They they had taken a very gigantic hit and hit 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 in attendance, and um, I was one of the only stops they could go to in the country, and the show was good, right? So they they were stringing me along to keep that relationship going, and I, I'm not a dumbass. I figured it out fairly quickly, but I I thought if I could keep proving to them, I could make them money, and I could keep doing these things for them to show them that I, I we would be willing to do whatever it took to make this successful if they brought us on. In my mind, I thought eventually I, I would be able to show them and they would bring us on board. But once I, I called them out and they said no, I was like, okay, yeah, they were just using me basically. And I don't have, I don't mean that as like, well, it was me. It's a business. You got to do what you got to do to keep yep. the business afloat. And they weren't doing very well. So I can't say that if I was in his shoes, I wouldn't do the same. But I, it, it, it was a hit to my ego because it was like all these things were happening. And then it just stopped. Yep. And we, uh, the the momentum was no longer there. The morale was no longer there. Everything started to fall apart around that time. But within a year, I, we were starting to make a little bit of money with these products that we were putting out. Um, we we had this. It's funny. What ended up saving us financially was a lanyard. This lanyard was done by this group called Custom Hat Pins. I don't know if they're around anymore, but if they are, they're one of the best places I've ever ordered products from. But this lanyard, we just wanted it uh, with our logo on the outside. That was it. What this place ended up doing was taking our design for this lanyard, redesigning it. They ended up putting a patch on the inside, and it had our uh, our our skull head logo on the inside. So the outside was our band logo, but on the on the outside, I'm sorry, on the outside was the band logo, but on the inside, it was just like a pattern of our skull all the way through it. It was one of the cool I still have a bunch actually. There's one somewhere in this room. But um it was one of the I don't have it hanging up. Um it was one of the coolest pieces of merch I've ever had well the band ever produced. People still have it to this day. Like, I have still people come up to me, my boy Tony being one of them. Every time I see him, he'll go, Look, Jay, I still got it. It was that cool of an item, right? And that actually saved us financially because we couldn't keep the motherfuckers. We were putting in orders faster. And this was before, like, lanyards were really big for bands and stuff. So we were one of the first people to do it. I'm not saying people copied off of us. We were just one of the first people to get the idea. And um, financially, it started to pick up for us. We ended up doing a couple more shirts uh, that were really started to take off. We were making money. Um, we were starting to book shows about a year after we got rejected. We were getting offers from people to come in. And um, uh, we, we got an offer to, to go on a mini run with Young Wicked. Uh, we were booking shows for people were paying us to come out. Um, and this was in February of 2020 when we started booking all of these shows. That And, and momentum was picking up again. And me and Doc were like, yes. This is it. This is when it's going to happen. Then March came around of 2020. And we all know what happened then. Everything shut down. Um, shortly after that, uh, we, we tried to do like some virtual events. We just wanted, we didn't want to give up because we just felt like we had all this momentum before COVID hit. As long as it's a short pandemic and things start opening up again, we should be able to pick this right back up. Obviously, that wasn't the case. You know, everybody on planet Earth saw that played out. But eventually, about, Seven months into COVID, uh, at that point, I think y'all were just like, this is going to take a while. And by the time it's done, our momentum's gone. And I don't think anyone, myself included, 
uh, wanted to try it. And that was it. We were done. Um, we we kind of had a group meeting about it. We all kind of decided, you know, we could keep going, but why? There was so much that we had accomplished. Even in the short time when I was with the band, we had accomplished a lot. We had done a lot of cool shit. Now add on them who were doing cool shit in 2008, 2009. They had checked off literally everything, every bucket list item for them three times over. What was left for them other than to sign a record deal? You know, working working the way we would have to work is for a group of much younger guys. I'm going, well, no, this is true. They're all a bunch of old folks. You know, they're not, they're, and it takes a young buck to be on the road. I don't even, even to this day with some of the connections that I still have, um, which I'll talk about this a little bit more here in a second, even with the connections I still have, they all know I won't go on another tour. It would have to be some killer shit to get me on another tour because that life is, it's fucking, you have to be made for it. Yeah. And people, people think, you know, I, I have people ask me all the times, oh, you've probably seen a lot of cool shit, haven't you? No, I've seen a lot of exits and a lot of cool places, I but you know what I'm oh, saying? Like you, you travel to all these shows for, yeah. uh, you know, you know exactly what that's. Like. Yeah, I was on the road for years doing comic book conventions. I saw a lot of shit alongside the road. Yep. You know, I, I didn't get to stop. I had to go make money. So, right, yeah. You don't see... Uh... Sorry, I got to get my vape here. You're good. We're going a little long. That's fine, though. We don't have a time limit here, right? No. Okay, all right, cool. Because <laughs> I've been long winded this spot. No, you're okay. fine. Awesome. So, um... We've gone three hours before. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, I still yeah. got some. All right, we're good. Yeah, we're yeah, good. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, but you have to you have to be about that life or else it's not going to be good. Yeah. It's a weird feeling driving in the middle of the night and being jealous of all the houses that you're driving past because you know they're asleep in their own bed. And it's like three weeks in, you're getting your showers wherever you can find them, if you can find them. Laundry is non-existent, you know, <laughs> a lot of places. Um, and I thought when I when I actually went on the tour with Twisted and they put me in hotels every night, I'm like, this is going to be way easier. No, the fuck it's not. It's just different, difficult in different ways. Yes, I had a hotel every night. Yes, I had a shower every night. But I got to be there before anybody else. So I'm driving all night long, you know. And so there was one stop in uh, somewhere. I don't remember where it was. It was Massachusetts area, but not exactly because they had that stupid accent that, you know, everybody has up there that, you know, I got to go get some beers. Ugh, whatever. I hate the Boston accent. But anyway, so I had to, I got there early. And even though it was spring, it was still fucking winter in the, that northern east coast area. Yeah. I found out real quick in May in the northern east, snowstorms are still happening. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And yep. It, it, we, we got caught in one. Um, but I got there at seven o'clock in the morning. Venue's not open till 12. So what are you going to do? I, you can't take the budget truck that I was driving anywhere because that's all filled with Twisted's property. And the, and the, the um, whether it be merch, the actual sounding equipment, everything that they had was on this budget truck. You do not travel with it. You go no. to the venue and you park. Yep. So the only thing I had to do at the time, again, is snowing outside, catch some sleep in the back of the budget truck. That was fucking tough because there's no heat. You know, nope. I I'm, I can't I can't turn on. Uh, at the time, I was driving with somebody else, and he was uh. He was made for the road, so he had no problem sleeping next to another dude in the cab. I didn't want to, so I was like, you can have the cab, dude. I'll sleep in the back. I'll make it work. So I was like wrapped up like a mummy with a, a blanket in the middle of a snowstorm trying to keep warm. 
that's that's what touring is like you know for for the workers and the people that are putting in work you know there's nobody that the people have a thought in their mind of what touring life is like i've never seen it. not once not for a single person that i've talked to not one thing that i've experienced it's rough you know unless you're a megastar like aerosmith or fucking taylor swift or you know that kind of level where all you got to do is book it and they'll come you're working your ass off yep so it's a, it's a rough life you know and so even though this is my long-winded way of saying even though i was still willing to kind of move on musically I was worn out because, again, I was the manager of the band, and every single day I was doing something for it, trying to keep things going. I was the one that ran all the social media accounts. I was the one that did all the graphic design. I'm the one that does all the booking. I was worn the fuck out, too. And I think what had happened when COVID got shut down and it made me be at home, I was like, God, the, the, the couple of months that you know we were inactive, not having that stress on me 24-7 was incredible. Yeah. You know, so I wasn't necessarily like I didn't want to quit the band, but I wasn't sad about it either. And again, I checked off so many things going all the way back, you know, to 2010 uh, when I saw that that ICP show. I checked off everything I wanted to do except one. I played a gathering. I've been on multiple tours. I was on a first name basis with people I grew up listening to. I had done these shows across the country that, you know, in a stadium uh, in a fucking pocket bar you know i've done everything i've ever wanted to do except get signed by a label but that's not gonna happen and when i in hindsight really glad it didn't because yeah. when COVID hit that that cash flow would have completely disappeared because well the only way we would have been able to make our money would have been off touring um that would have been the good chunk of how we brought that cash in that's how a lot of people bring in cash in the underground mainly unless you're axc uh, who I'll talk about here in a second, who they move so much merch, you know, they don't have, they can go out where they want to. It's a great position for them to be in, but that's very rare. So it was a blessing in disguise that we didn't get that sign, uh, that signing, because we would have been fucked. I would have been fucked. Yeah, there's yeah. no way, there's no way financially I would have been able to support my family at that point in time. So it worked out for the, for the betterment of everybody, really, that we didn't get signed. So fuck it, you know. Yeah, we're done. We did. We did everything we needed to do. Um, so what I've done since then, I've taken my stage running ability and my my ability as a promoter and to keep the show going. Um, throughout my time in the last ten years doing this again, I've met this group of guys. They're called AXC. They're on my shirt right now. Um, Alazulu is their name. They're an underground rap group. The guy, one of the guys uh, in the group, is named Lee Carver. Is one of my best friends in the entire world. He was the best man of my wedding. Um, I, I would literally die for this guy if I needed to. Like, that's how close we are. Um, he joined, ended up joining up with them, and uh, they ended up getting the spot that we were supposed to get on Magic Ninja Entertainment, which has fit them like a glove. Uh, they, they have done very well for themselves on this label, right? And so, and I couldn't have been happier for them. But as they were starting off, they kind of realized that, you know, they needed somebody to do for them what George from Magic, Inter Magic Ninja Entertainment did for Twisted when it came to some of these shows and stuff like that. And I had experience running shows, so their very first album release party that they did on the label, I ended up promoting them doing the show running. Went off great. Um, and I, you know, what that ended up doing was showing them that I know how to do this. And as they progressed, they've taken me along with them some of these shows. And it, in the last year or so, well, I shouldn't say that. Last two years, is it's really amped up 
my involvement with these guys and, and what I do with them. Now I'm basically the guy that runs the show there. Um, literally the show. I'm not, there's plenty of people that do work there. My job is the show part. You know what I'm, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not the big boss. Uh, I don't think really anybody is. Everybody kind of pulls their own weight when it comes to the staff for uh, LLE, Long Live Evil is the name of their group, um, their, their their label, so to speak. Um, everybody that's there as a uh, worker pulls their own weight in a certain specific spot. My spot is the show. I'm the guy that runs the ambience of the show. I'm the guy that gets the talent on stage. I'm the guy that keeps the flow going. I'm the guy that communicates with the talent. Um, and I do this not only uh, at their spot shows, uh, but also in their annual, uh, now we're in year four, will be next year, uh, called Camp Zool, um, where they go to this place called Terror Town, but they'll be this October uh, for their uh, Night of the Zooligan show. It's a place called Terror Town. It's an extreme haunt. Um, for people that don't know what that is, it's basically one of those places before you walk in, you have to sign a waiver that says they can do whatever they want to you. They will kidnap uh, you and, and bury you and all that fun shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen it happen. They will do it. And it's fucking hilarious. But it's a great fit because they, these guys, uh, 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 their imagery fits this place perfectly. Uh, 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 and we go there every summer now. We started off in the winter. The very first one we did was uh, winter of 2021. It was really cool. And to, like, because you didn't have heat on you, didn't have to worry about being dehydrated. Not, day one was great. Day two, when we had the first snowstorm we've had in Ohio. Not so great because people were camping outside, which uh, day one, it was great. The weather was like mid 60s, I think. It was perfect, perfect. But we learned that it was probably smarter just to do it in the summer at that point. So we've done it in the summer, uh, the two times subs afterwards. Uh, and um, it's gone great. It's grown both years from year one to last year. The attendance is going up. Uh, they're really building a fan base. And I feel very fortunate that uh, they've taken my abilities that I've learned uh, at Odd Bodies as a promoter, and I've been able to uh, apply that to what they need me to do. Um, you know, and it, it, I wouldn't say it was a rough learning curve, but luckily my, one of my best friends being in there, and I've, I've been cool with the other two guys, Joe and Billy. Um, literally, they were supposed to be on the very first ABK show I booked, but my best friend Lee took the spot because – there was some mix up in the paperwork. So it's weird because like we were all, we've all been connected from day one from this one ABK show, because that was my best friend Lee. That was his first show too, as a, uh, as a uh, uh, returning act. He, that, so this one ABK show tied us all together. It's strange how the universe works. You yeah, know? People definitely. say that, that there isn't some other power, whether it be religious or whatever, you're fucking crazy because there's doors that bring everybody together. And I'm not saying, you know, religion is the way to go, but there's definitely a force out there. My whole life is proof of that, right? So there's so many things that tied in and weave into where I'm at right now. Even my wife, I've known my wife since the eighth grade, you know, so all these things have, have just been in existence. But anyway, um, so uh, we've, We've, we've built this relationship where they, they trust me to do this for them. I love doing it for the audience and they do it for the Zooligans. It's some of the most passionate fan base you'll ever find. <clears throat> they self-police uh, the environment. So when there are some sketchy people around, they take care of it. Everybody's there to help and love and just have a good time. And all these shows I've ever done, it's one of the favorite shows I've ever uh, I've ran for is for these shows for the Zooligans. It makes me feel like what the Juggalo scene used to feel like. Because one point, one point in time, it wasn't so centered around. Uh, today's juggalo scene is still good. Don't get me wrong, uh, 
I'm not trying to insult them, but there's a group of people that are kind of like the mean girls of the group. Uh, you know, there are some girls in that group, uh, but there's also some people who think they're way more important than what they really are that kind of bully people online. And the scene has really hurt from it. Uh, I think I just um, read something that where Violent J said the last gathering pulled a whole $5,000. That's how much the, uh, the very last gathering of the Juggalos did. I don't remember who he was doing the interview with, but it was very recently with like in the last couple of weeks where he said the gathering only netted five grand. And honestly, I feel like that's a lot because the scene is just not what it was anymore. You know, it's more of a popularity contest than it's ever been. Um, and the Zooligan scene is not like that. You know, they're accepting, don't get me wrong, but they're going to do what they want to do. And that's what the, the entire scene was kind of built around was that vibe. You know, anybody yeah. can come in, but we're also, you know, there is you're not as important nobody as as important as anybody else yeah you know you understand what i'm saying yeah yeah, yeah. it's 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 in my business too there's a lot of guys out there the gatekeeper guys the ones that are trying yes. to get new people out and 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 tina's pointed this out to me she goes well you know you you've done that before i was like you know i don't mean to because and i'll, I'll be the first one minute i'm one of the kids i grew up in a time where i'm a comic book guy i'm a video game guy that shit was made fun of you were put down. Yeah. Fucking people try to beat you up and shit because of that. People don't realize that. Do yeah. one point in time, if you played video games, you were looked down. Oh, oh it yeah. Wasn't, you were a nerd. Oh, yeah. Fuck. That's like, okay. I remember, it's funny because one of the same guys that gave me shit for playing D&D and collecting comics in high school, I remember standing in line for one of the, the Lord of the Rings movies and that dude standing behind me. <laughs> And he's talking to me, and he's telling, and I'm like, "Dude, this right. is the same shit you made fun of me for." And and my wife, because I've got, I got bitter about that shit at a certain point, because yeah. I was one of the ones where you got to pay your dues, you got yeah. you got to go through bullshit to be able to be you know cool with it. And I went through the bullshit, and now I just see these kids who are just like, "Oh yeah, I'm a nerd, fucking yeah," and I'm like, "You didn't do nothing. You just right. played. yeah, like, fuck." I was like. And, and yeah, you didn't and go I, through the rite of passage. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't. You know, and now she goes. You know, it's different times. It's like I know I shouldn't. And you get them guys who are still that way. And I've I've moved mm -hmm. on. I'm a fucking adult about it. I'm old. I'm too old for that bullshit. And and uh, you know now I got my kids and stuff. And and I tell my son Joe, and I was like, you know, I look at Joe and I'm like, you were you were the bane of this because you were that whole. Right. I was born into it. I was. <laughs> Because yep, I was like, you didn't have a true. choice. And I didn't, I never pushed it on my kids at all. M me being a fucking huge, great geek nerd, I never pushed that on my kids. I wanted them to do whatever they wanted to do in life. And luckily, my kids are fucking really close to me and Tina. And, <laughs> and so I, I, I can associate with them. Where, you know, it's not like me and my parents. My dad doesn't, my dad don't get this shit at all. Right. And, <laughs> and uh, but no, no I, I mean, Somewhat I can associate with gatekeeping because you're older, you're like that, that group that started, you're them guys that were there at the beginning. And if you were a, a, a juggalo, you know, in the ICP when it first started, I can see you kind of being bitter later when all the other guys just showed up and we're just like, oh yeah, we're fucking, you know, we're, we're juggalos. And you're like, yeah, you didn't have to put up a bullshit. I did. Yeah. So, when, when they started, when ICP started getting their shirts sold in Walmart, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It is such a popular thing now that the shirts are at Walmart. I, I remember 
because I mean, we were still to this day, people think LOL Juggalo, you know, even to this day, that's it's always carried over. But everybody knows it's so funny too because I always get the damn song name wrong. Everybody goes, Oh, yeah, I really like the dating game song, which is not what it's called. And I, I that's something that's so hilarious to OG Juggalos. Everybody goes, Oh, the dating, the dating game song, and nobody even corrects them anymore because why fucking bother? But so even all the people that make fun of the group, they know who they are. Oh, yeah. And you know what I'm saying? Like, and they just recently, uh, they just you know recently went platinum on, uh, on, uh, TikTok. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Know what I'm saying? Know what I'm saying? Know what I'm saying? A little, off, little offline humor there. Yeah. But <laughs> they, uh, yeah, they just went platinum off a TikTok. So people know who they are, even though they yeah. are looked down on. But even still, like, when all the superhero movies came out, and it's funny to me, and this is something I've always wondered. And I've never really spoken until this moment because it's never came out on a, in a conversation. Why is it still to this day, if I tell people or if I make a post or whatever it might be about a comic that I'm reading, why is the people still kind of look at me weird when comic book themed movies are one of the have dominated society for the last decade? Why is that okay? Two different but monsters. Me, Two it's different so ridiculous. Monsters. And it's so ridiculous. Me. No, it's, it's the same fucking thing. I know. There, there's people who come in my shop who are like, oh, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Deadpool fan. I'm like, oh, what's your favorite Deadpool storyline? Well, I like the movies. Yeah. And I'm like, have you read the comics? The fucking comic books are killer, man. Back in the day, the early mm -hmm. ones were phenomenal. Later ones, not so much. But, yeah. but you know, and there's people who do that. And they'll look at you weird because, you know, they're like, oh, man, I remember, you know, I love Adam Warlock. Adam Warlock finally appeared in Guardians 3. Is he I the first night? Oh, you ain't seen it yet? Okay, well, I'm going to see it. No, 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 that's okay. If enough time has passed. Yeah. It, spoilers are my own fault. Spo but, spo yeah. Spoiler. Is he the version that I grew up on? No. Yeah. Is he a kind of reboot, twisted version to fit with what they need him to? Yes. Does he still have some of the same qualities and characteristics? Yes. But... You know, those people that are going to see Guardians of the Galaxy are not going to go find a 40-year-old copy of no, Warlock no. and read it. Right. Where I read the 40-year-old book 40 years ago when it came out. Yeah, And right. that's what made it. Um, I had a friend give me shit um, because I didn't much care for the Joker movie. I, I can't say I didn't much care for it. I didn't like it at all. Fuck it. I did yeah. not like that movie. Um, I gave it a chance. I wanted to like it. I went in. I almost walked out. It's, and I never fucking walk out of movies. And I have a friend who gave me shit about that. He goes, "Oh, you're just not you're because it's not fucking Avengers Endgame." I was like, "Avengers Endgame is not the best movie." I was like, "The no, best not. comic book movie that has come out, period." As I smack my fucking microphone, is Logan. Is Logan that is the best fucking comic book movie? That is a just a fine movie, period. Mm -hmm. It's it's a comic book movie. It's a bit of a western. It's a drama. It's a family movie. It's, you know, all these movies. And I love that movie. And, you know, I don't know. It's it's one of the ones where, where people will look at this and like, oh, well, you don't like it because of that. Well, Avengers Endgame and stuff like that. I've been waiting for that since 1991. Yeah. You know, when, when Infinity Gauntlet dropped when I was a kid. Uh, you know, kid, fucking 17. Uh <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's like uh, Star Wars movies. Everybody's like, oh, fucking Disney's killing Star Wars. I'm like, really? Have you watched any of the TV shows? Why well, don't watch TV shows? Yeah, right. Yeah, they're just going off of 
basically the movie vibe. Yeah. But with and it, you know what? Here's the thing. Here's the thing that the stance that very few people take when it comes to the Star Wars franchise, at least. Has Disney has some stinkers? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. But they've came out with some really good shit for this for the series too. Oh yeah. I I'm I will take sitting through having to sit through anyway, the last three movies to get the Mandalorian. To get uh to get um let's see what some of the other ones are. Uh, I, I do like the ah- Ahsoka series that's came yeah, out it's already. Real good so uh, Andor, I thought was pretty good. Andor was uh, great. The... Obi Wan, yeah, right. Yeah. Obi, dude, Obi Wan. I, I, I left Star Wars groups because I couldn't handle people giving slander about that shit. They're just finding shit to bitch about. Those that no. miniseries was incredible. Let's put it this way, and I've said this, and I will say this to the day I die. When little kid Paul from nineteen seventy seven. Little three-year-old Paul got super excited when I saw Star Wars. That has been ingrained in me my entire life. Yes, I don't yes. remember a time before that. Every time that music kicks in, I feel it in my heart. That shit hits me every time. I get, I'm get, i getting fucking, yeah. fucking goosebumps talking about it right now. I said when that stops happening, I'm done. And I think that's what a lot of people need to do. When you stop falling in love with something, walk away from it. Maybe give it another shot later on. Yeah. But don't hate it. Right. Don't don't hate it for other people. Dude, Obi-Wan Kenobi and The Mandalorian, um, when Luke Skywalker shows up at the end of The Mandalorian, the, the, the season finale, me and my son were sitting on that couch over there watching it. And I was nine years old again. That is 1983, Paul, at that point. That is post-Return of the Jedi. I got up and I had goosebumps, man. I was like, oh my, you know, and I was happy. The little kid in me was happy. And as an almost 50-year-old man, when the little kid in you is happy, you take every bit of that and enjoy it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then when um, Obi-Wan hit, and I'm watching that, and me and Joe, like I said, me and Joe were sitting over here because that's our father-son thing. When his helmet gets cracked, and you can mm-hmm. see Anakin underneath the mask, and it keeps fluctuating between Vader's voice and Anakin's voice. And he's like, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I, yeah, did. I did. And I'm like, fuck, that hit me right here. And I'm like, that is why I still love Star Wars to this day. And that's Disney yeah. Star Wars. And it's something else though, too. Because here's something else that people don't realize because it's not something you can do and experience unless you go to Disney World. Mm-hmm. That area, Galaxy's Edge, my, my wife and I went there as a part of our honeymoon. You have to, it's it's almost like Mecca. If you're a Star Wars fan and have been your whole life, you have to make a p- pilgrimage there. Not only are they adding on to it already, you can see the spot they're adding on. There's a literal Millennium Falcon in this motherfucker. And I got to see it firsthand. They Disneyed the fuck out of this. And what I mean by that is, is they did what they do best. They overproduced this area to the point where you actually feel like you're in a smuggler's den. You know, in this entire area. It, if you've never experienced it, I you have to. You just have to. I don't know how else to describe it. I, and that's what when people make fun of Disney, I'm like, have you been to Galaxy's Edge? No. Well, then don't make fun of them yet because you have to. You have to experience it. 
I'm 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 torn with Galaxy's Edge. I want to go to Galaxy's Edge so bad, but I want to go in costume, and you're not allowed. Yeah, that is weird. And I well, because they don't want you people to think that you work there. Yeah, I get it. I get, I get it. it. You would but think it, there would still be out some way, like okay, you have to wear this land. Yeah, get, or, or put a fucking fucking yeah sticker or something on you. They, they could if they wanted. Yeah, to. they just don't want. I, to. I mean, and and this is, comes from a guy. I have a full set somewhere around here. I have my Sith robes. I have a full set of Sith robes. I have my lightsabers. If you go right back there, mm-hmm. I have my full set of stormtrooper armor. I have fucking just shit tons of. I have all the Mandalorian helmets. Me and Joe yeah. are going to build armor. And I was like, I I want to go there as a character from Star Wars. Even if I'm a side character, a fucking stormtrooper. So I would love to be there just for that. Yeah. And you can't do it. And it's it's like my brain is like. I would like, think within time, though, they might. Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that's why I'm I'm, I'm waiting. For that day when I can you know, know, you know when they'll do it when they start doing their own Star Wars conventions. That's it because you know they'll do it eventually. When yeah, they start already, doing well, they that. got the D the D what D three or whatever. Uh, yeah, thing. whatever their, their own. Is, but, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm a I'm a dork. I dress up, take my kid trick or treat, so I don't care. <laughs> I would. There's just nothing big enough to fit my six four fucking. 200 plus pound ass. Well, <laughs> well what's really going to suck this year is last year I was over like around 200 pounds. So my costume's not going to fit because I'm down to 160 <laughs> something. <laughs> yep. You shrank you shrank quite a bit in the last yeah. couple of years. Yeah. I, I had to, uh, I actually had to go on my show and tell people I wasn't sick. <laughs> I was like, nah, man. I was like, if you see my face get, because I had somebody point out that I'm getting like, it's like, delving in on the sides I'm like nah I'm just I'm just getting healthy I lost a yeah. lot of weight <laughs> um but no Tina's like well you bring the costume I'll fix the the robes and so and uh no I, I take Vince trick-or-treating which is a blast like yeah. every every little kid's like oh look at that <laughs> so me and Vince are stopping and taking pictures with other little kids it's hilarious <laughs> right <laughs> convention photo taking that trick-or-treat but uh no, it's it's. I I I mean, me and you have you know our friendships grown. You know, we knew of each other, and then we you've come to the shop, and we've become friends and stuff, and it, it's a blast. And me and you've had a lot of discussions. It's one reason why I wanted to have you on the show so much because I've I've just talked to you about touring. I've talked to you about mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, we've had about fifteen to sixteen different podcasts. Oh, yeah. Just hanging out at your shop. No yeah. kid, no kid. And, yeah. and, and so I had to have you on because, you know, you are always a blast to talk to and Thanks, a cool man. dude and and a, and a good and a good a good guy. And, um, you know, it is it. It's a shame knowing that you guys got so far with Menace and then had to backtrack. But, you know, you got you you got lucky because it happened before you know you got like that advance to make the mm-hmm. album because then you'd had to pay that back with Absolutely. no income yeah. um, a lot of people don't even know that uh, i've had to explain that to people the other a while back because uh, um i know a few years ago some band got like a three million dollars and they turned it down and people were like freaking out They're like oh, they turned down three million they turned down a three million dollar advance that is yeah. to make the album 
you still got to give them back $3 million and an album. And people don't realize that. And so, you know, like these people who get record deals, I got a record deal. Did you? Or did you just get something you got to pay for for the rest of your life? And on on top of that, to add to that as well, and this is to your point, hindsight being 2020 was the best possible outcome yeah yeah yeah. obviously it was very upsetting at the time because i felt like i was a failure we're witnessing right now in a lifetime the death of the record label Mm -hmm. you know it's between streaming and you see artists like jelly roll um who's never once signed a single record deal and is all over your tv screen and your radio right now which a lot of people don't realize this and i i claim it to the day i die even though it didn't happen um Jelly Roll was supposed to be on one of the New Year's Evils that we played with Twisted back in, I don't remember the year, 20, it was, I think it was New Year's Evil 8, I think was the number. So it would have been like 2016, 2017, somewhere time, uh, time for around there. Uh, it was at Al Rosa Villa in Columbus, which was a decent, again, no longer there anymore, but it was a decent sized venue, but it was still underground music. He was supposed to be on that bill. Now, I don't know what happened was he couldn't leave the state of Nashville last minute, couldn't make it. So they had to replace him with somebody else. It was literally canceled day of. So we were supposed to play with it. But that shows you from that point, 2016, 2017, whatever that was, to now with no record label. This man is one of the number one artists in the world. He's went platinum. I think I know at least once, maybe twice he's gone platinum. No record label. We were putting our entire career into something that was on its deathbed that was, we didn't see it that way. I mean, we, yep. we knew streaming was going to change the game a little bit, but we didn't realize it was going to be at this point. I mean, even look at that guy. I don't remember the name of the, the artist because I don't, I'm don't. i not real big on current country, um, but that guy that made that song, Richmond, North of Richmond, talking about turning down $8 million contract offers, what the fuck does he need them for? They're going to yeah. take the rights to his music. He's not going to have a single right to that that master. The record company is going to own that. So when they kick him off, they're still getting paid, and all he gets is residuals. If he keeps going the way he's going now, he owns his own masters. There is no residuals because it's all going into his pocket. And guess what? He's doing thousands of numbers everywhere he goes. You know whether or not that's your style, it cannot be denied that the, the record company bottle uh, again. It's doing well for people like Taylor Swift and people like that. But even she doesn't need a label. She needs management. They're always going to need management. But you're not going to need a label. So that's what the, the, the way things are going is people are now looking at a group of mainly friends that starts off with friends. I know a lot of people have started off their labels with friends and family members. It doesn't always end up that way. But yeah. just the people close to them. They're building teams of people close to them that they know they can trust, and they're doing it on their own. And basically, that's what AXE is doing now at this point. Um, they're still signed to Magic Ninja Entertainment. Don't get me wrong, but all these like events that they're doing, that's all them. You know, they're doing it independently. They just have a label to kind of give them a push. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Uh, know what I mean? Know what I'm saying? Know what I mean? Know what I'm saying? Know what I mean? Know what I mean? Um, but yeah, so we we were trying to get a, a record deal. Even if COVID never happened, we were trying to get a record deal at a point where the record companies were dying. Yeah. So even from that perspective, it worked out. No matter which way with hindsight, no matter which way you look at it, it was for the best. But there are times, you know, when I'm sitting backstage booking some of these shows, I'll watch some of these artists and I'll be like, fuck. Like, it's like the wrestler who can't go anymore. Yeah. You know, I'm the undertaker watching in Gorilla. You know what I mean? I, I want to be up there so bad. 
and don't get me wrong, I've got opportunities. I know if I drop something solo by myself tomorrow, I, I would have every opportunity in the world. It's funny, uh, I announced today that I was starting a show coming in 2024 of my own to go through a lot of my experiences and talk with guests, mainly like you do. Yeah, yeah. But more, more, um, more just people I know that I meet in the industry because I meet all these people backstage yeah, yeah. that I've always thought I could have a great conversation with. I have access to them. A uh, little small teaser on that. But I had announced that I had picked on a project and I was going to uh, be announcing it uh, at the very first podcast that I did the same day. And I started getting show offers from people like, hey, man, if I would have known, uh, I think one of my homies, Andy, was like, oh, dude, if I knew you were coming back, I would have booked you at the show that I was booking in October, which is a music show. Like I was getting offers for a music show because people thought I meant I was going to be putting out a record. Um which I'm not, unless <laughs> we make that perfectly clear. But I know if I wanted to, there's still people out there uh, who would be more than happy to have me at their event, which is great to know. You know, I'm yeah. not saying I, I would never do it. But as of right now, I've, I've got other aspirations in life. I love being at home every night. I love the time I get to spend with my wife. Um, you know, I, there's certain sacrifices you have to make that I'm not willing to make right now to do that. Um you know, and I don't want to also something else I won't do is I won't use my positioning with AXC to get me because uh, I know these guys would if I asked them, hey, put me on the show. I know they would uh, nine times out of ten, unless, you know, it was one of those things where like we were just on the last one. We had to, you know, switch it up, which I would get. But I know they would hook me up. I would not insult the people that put the work in this by using that back door when I had taking a three-year break you know i yeah. would have to actually have the mindset of okay i'm going to start this up again and i'm going to do it the right way again just not even just for the people that are doing it but for myself like because i've always hated people that took that back door oh yeah you know if you're a legend and you only want to do shows every once in a while i totally get that but the people that you know oh i do this is going to sound like i'm insulting somebody but it's not I, I have nobody in mind here before i say this it's just the clearest example i can get it's like the graphics guy that does something for a big artist and they hook him up with a show because he does graphics for him. um again nothing wrong with that uh you because go, you're still working for him or whatever but that's just the best example that that's that's not the path i want to go down no, um, but, and there's nothing wrong with using those contacts i want to yeah, perfectly, perfectly but it's, it's 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 probably nice still having that option available that you know sure. you're like yeah it's it's i'm not going to use it but it's like a break glass in case of an emergency type thing you know you it's still yeah, there sure yeah. and I, like i said i'm going to use it for this uh upcoming podcast i'm going to do mm -hmm. i'm literally going to i'm going to end up buying um at some point i want to get uh some uh outdoor recording equipment for uh like i know you can get those uh I forget the name brand of it, but it's the devices that you can basically just plug two microphones in and it'll record the actual bass unit will record the conversation. I yeah. can take something like that with me backstage to Camp Zool and be like, hey man, you got 15 minutes. You know, let's go back here in this room real fast and let me just talk to you for oh, 15 yeah, yeah. minutes to an hour. You know, that perfect opportunity. I will use it for that. But, uh, you know, it's one of those, I'm comfortable with doing that though, because the guy that's pushing me to do this is my best friend. He was the one that tells me that, uh, I should be doing this, yeah. you know, and, and he thinks it's a great idea. So I know that they're okay with that. So yeah. It's okay. You know? Well, it, it's one of the ones where, where do I ask people like, Oh, do you know, these people would, would they, would, you know, would they be interested to be on the show? You know? And if they say, yeah, you got that in, 
But if they also go, well, I'm not comfortable with that, I wouldn't go, no. Nah. I'd be like, man, come on, man. You got an in? No. If, if as soon as somebody says, you know, no, nah, I'm not comfortable with that, you're like, okay, cool, man. Walk away. You know, that's like, okay, I did a horror con last year and I got to go and interview all these horror movie people while I was there. So I was technically had an in, but, you know, would I got the 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 promoter to go help me get other people? Maybe. But if they weren't going to come to me, if I asked them, I'm not going to go get somebody yeah. else to be like, hey, right. you should do this dude's bike. Go, 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 go do that right now. Why don't you do That's know? an important lesson that yeah. people need to learn, too. Your attitude when it comes to these things plays a lot into how far you get with them. Because if you act like a fanboy, you aren't getting anywhere with a lot of these people. If you act like, you know, you know these people personally and you're just a fan of them, it's not going to get you very far. Etiquette in a lot of these events yep. is more important than your actual standing. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Have I ever fanned out with a guest? Yes. And uh, I told her, I told her right off the bat, because I got to interview uh, Hollywood from uh, Glow. Yeah. And um, literally one of my earliest crushes I've ever had. So yeah. I think I was like 12 <laughs> years old when I fell in love with this like 20 year old girl, you know, <laughs> and, and I, I had to tell her, I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm, I'm going to tell you this right up front. I had the biggest crush on you. I was like, you were like my number three crush. And she goes, what were your first two? I was like, Princess Leia, Carrie Fisher, and Linda Linda, <laughs> Linda Carter and Wonder Woman. She goes, I'm in good company. I'm like, yes, you're in very good company. And we talked and laughed about it. And it was yeah. a blast. And so I, I was really upfront with it. I kind of got that out of the way. And then I kind of went back to being, you know, interviewer Paul and went to that. So, you know, yeah. it's so. And, and I did kind of, I guess, fan out just because I, my love for the movie um, but I kind of kept it in check because I love the movie Mano's Hands of Fate. It's a, just a mm -hmm. dumb Z movie that they play on uh, Mystery Science Theater. I got to talk with one of the, the girl, the little girl from the movie, who's you know a grandmother now, which is hilarious. But you know, and I was like, man, I'm a, I'm I'm going to probably because I love this movie. I as dumb as this is, I I had to you know I put it out there and I made sure that it wasn't being like you know her like oh well I don't want to talk to this guy now. So, yeah. <laughs> but I was honest and open about it. And I was like, yeah, I might fan out a couple times during the thing and I'll be sorry. And I apologize in advance. Right. I fanned out twice. I actually always kept my cool in front of everybody musically. Mm -hmm. Never fanboyed on anyone. That's not true. I did pull Blaze aside once when we were backstage at, at the first Camp Zool. I did pull him aside and was like, listen, uh, Blaze prefers it if you call him by his real name. So uh, I said, listen, Chris, uh, I never told you this, but, you know, you were one of my biggest influences growing up. Thank you for the music. You gave me a big hug, all that shit. But that wasn't really a mark out. I did mark out twice, both wrestling, uh, wrestling individuals. First one, uh, back when COVID hit, uh, Conrad Thompson just started at free shows. And the way to get some of the listeners uh, uh, signed up to this thing was they would that this was the start of the live Q and A on ad free shows. I was a part of the first couple of ones, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, the very first one, the most intense one, was Jim Ross when he did his. I was it was funny because uh, they introduced me as the person who was here on his wedding day because we had to push back our wedding uh, a year because of COVID. 
And I had told all the people in the chat before we started doing uh, the talk with Jim Ross that this was supposed to be my wedding day. Um, and I wasn't there or whatever because, you know, COVID. And uh, the lady introduced me as the guy who was here on his wedding day. And Jim Ross made a joke about it. Like, oh, don't you think you should be? Or no, he goes, uh, it looks like you made the best decision of your life by not being at your wedding day. <laughs> so we got to cut. He kind of cut the, uh, the 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 tension immediately, but once I started thanking him, I was like teary. I was like, "Thank you for being the voice of my childhood." I I couldn't hold back, and I had a question lined up and everything, but after that, it was just fuck it. I just said something. I don't even remember what I said. So the whole thing was kind of a wash because I couldn't control myself. And then the other one was Eric Bischoff. The first time I ever got a chance to talk to Eric Bischoff, and because um, I, I learned, uh, I hated Eric Bischoff when he was in WCW as a kid, he was I, the, the devil incarnate in my eyes. But if you actually take the time to listen to some of the things that he says on 83 weeks and listen to his podcast, I have learned more business mindset from him and how to uh, accurately create anticipation for an event than I have anyone else. And I was, this podcast is five years old. So some of the advice that he was giving about what he would do to draw people in to some of the WCW shows, I would listen to regurgitate mentally and spit it out in a way that it would work uh, for, um, for a music show. So like something that somebody would, uh, people would like jokingly complain, but I think sometimes they meant it was not always be like dope show announcement coming up next week. And people would fucking hate it. But as soon as I announced the show, the interaction, the shares, the clicks, all of it. And that's something I learned from Eric Bischoff was create anticipation. He's very, there's a reason why that man was able to do what he did at WCW. And if you actually do the research, he gets a bad rap for a lot of things that a lot of people blame him for that was out of his control. Yeah. There's a book, there's a book called The Nitro Book. Guy Evans is the uh, author. He actually got interviews from ex-WCW employees that people had never talked to before and has basically laid out, you know, uh, the actual death of WCW and how it actually went down. And what a lot, the, one of the common misconceptions is, is that as bad as the finger poke of doom was, as bad as how he did let Hogan run rupshot it to a degree, you can't blame them because it worked. WCW beat the shit out of WWE yeah. for the 83 weeks. The, the formula worked, but it did get old, and he never changed it, of letting Hogan do whatever Hogan wanted to do. He could have done, he could have fixed everything. Time Warner did not want WCW. In their no, they didn't want forward. wrestling, period. They didn't want, yeah, wrestling at that point in time, and still to this day, is looked on. Badly, it's the, the redheaded stepchild of, of it the is fucking uh, sports industry, yeah. And it's it's funny because I said this to my wife. She walked in when I was watching the payback payback pay per view uh, two weekends ago, whenever it was, because she heard John Cena's voice and she goes, "How is he there? There's the actor strike. That's, that's exactly why he is there because yeah. they're never gonna they're never gonna sweat him for that because then they have to legitimize professional wrestling and say John you can't do that because you're supposed to be on strike from our business yep. and they'll never do that so we can go back to that industry but anyway i digress yep. time warner eric bischoff could have killed wwe and and did everything the internet wanted him and dave Meltzer wanted him to do they still would have pulled the plug on wcw yes. So even though, yes, Eric was at fault of some of these things, it doesn't matter what he would have been able to do. Uh, and I think he gets a bad rap because people have listened to Dave Meltzer for so long and smear this guy 
because Dave Meltzer has such an anti WCW uh, uh, Hulk Hogan agenda that they just they they listen to that shit and they don't do any research. But Eric will tell you, when he, not always. When it comes to Hogan, he's pretty he's pretty defensive when it comes to Hogan. Yeah, he defends him that, tooth and nail. Yeah, yeah, that is one thing I will say that he does kind of fall by the wayside on. But um, I learned my this is a long way way of saying that I learned so much from that guy. So when I was able to actually sit down and do an ad free shows thing with him, I did get kind of choked up a little bit, and it's funny because. You can see after I tell him what he his you know his what he's done for me in my life, he starts to tear up. So when he starts to tear up, I was like, mm, pull it together, pull it together, pull it together. But I was actually able to pull something out of that. So it wasn't like the JR one where it was just random question that didn't really matter at that. Yeah, it, 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 it's nice when you meet people that like you aspired and your heroes and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong, I've had it, I've had it backfire on me. Um, and walked away, but then I've also met cool people that talk to me like, you know, we were friends for the last 20 years and it's a person I met for the first time that I aspired to, you know, I still talk to comic book artists regularly that I grew up loving. They're, they were like my heroes and I talk to them all the time and it's like, now we're just converse and uh, person to person, friend to friend, you know, uh, you know, colleague, you know, colleague to colleague, but you know, I'm, right, I'm on yeah. one side of the comic book industry. They're on the other side of the comic book industry. But whatever. Yeah. But it's, it, it you but it's, are colleagues. Yeah, Without yeah, yeah. you guys, they don't exist. So it's well, fair. Well, th- that's even what's nice about, you know, being friends with you. I've used some of the, the, the advice you've given me on promotion and I've used that, on my own stuff, doing the conventions, doing, you know, this, doing that. Oh yeah, man. And and it's, it's, it's because, you know, you, you learn from your friends, you learn and you, you adapt Mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah, my not music, I'm a comic book guy, but I can still use some of that to turn over here and make that. The fundamentals are very, the fundamentals are always there for everybody. So, right. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm going to have to run this past you one of these days, I keep wanting to bring back live music to Piqua. And, you're going to be the first person I go to when I finally get this going and figure out a venue and shit. So, hey, that's fine with me, man. That's yeah. fine with me. So, yeah, because we'll just step up and be like, yeah, this is what we're doing now. And then Tina and, and Leo will be like, Jesus Christ, one more yeah. fucking thing you guys are going to do. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because I, I told Leah I was going to do, I was going to start this new project. And she's been behind me quite a bit. But I think she knows, like, she knows how when I obsess over something. I'm going to make it my personality. And she's even made mention of like, well, you know, just take this next one kind of, you know, kind of easy and don't wear yourself out because she knows how even I like start to start something. I'm like, oh, this isn't going the way I want it to. And I'll just drop it. And I've done it with a couple shows. But now I think that this, this upcoming show I'm going to do, I've got a perfect layout in mind. And I think she can sense like, okay, he's playing it months out. He means this. Because yeah. I, I when I start playing it once out, I'm going hard in the fucking paint. So yeah, it, it's the 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 back to our point in the relationship where I'm just going to be constantly doing shit. Yeah, I think she's already bracing for it. So yeah. see, 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 Tina likes it because that keeps me uh, um, occupied, busy. Yeah. <laughs> it keeps me out of trouble. I, 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 and and the nice part about it is is that that doing the podcast and stuff. Um, Going back to the the pandemic, um, I don't hide this from anybody. I tell everybody this. I was I was an alcoholic for years, 
and I got sober and I'd, I'd fallen off a couple times and it was just dumb stuff. But during the pandemic, depression hit because mm -hmm. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if the shop was going to be able to recover from it and all that stuff like that. And I'm just stuck at home and I'm sitting there and I, you know, I'm like, man, I could use a drink. And it just started, started getting like, man, I could just knock back a drink right now. And then I was like, you know what? I was like, man, I was like, I still got my podcast stuff up and I got Brandon. I was like, why don't we just talk, do a podcast, talk about, you know, he, he's learning, you know, from me as an, you know, and it kind of kept growing and I'm like, ah, okay, it evolved and now it's where it is now, but because of that, it kept me from going back to drinking because yeah. I I got my mind occupied. I got myself in something constructive and not destructive. And now I'm like, yeah, no, I'm like, I'm cool. I don't even want to, I don't want to drink anymore. I don't even have any desire to. And I'm like, no, hell yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's an outlet. Yeah. But it's keeping myself busy. Yeah. And it's going well for you, man. I, I told uh, Leah before we started recording, I was like, you're never going to believe this. Paul got fan mail from other countries and he showed it to me. It's real. So that's something that's like still like you've taken this thing that you is, is helping you. Um, it's helping you. It's your, again, it's your outlet, right? Yeah. And, it, and it's going well for you. There's yeah. no better feeling than that. So, oh, yeah. It, yeah, there's. There's no drink in the world that can replicate, you know, nope. hey, what I really what's what I really enjoy doing is is going well. So yeah. yeah. And it, it's fun because, you know, like I said, the one of the cartoon one of the cartoon shows started out as a, a glorified commercial for my shop. And yeah. then that spawned into something bigger. And then this is bigger. And then, you know, I'm doing another show with another uh uh, uh guy who's you know, Hawk from uh Hawk and Loaded. We're going to do a show where we talk to musicians and metal and stuff like that. And and like I said, we're going to bring you back for that show, too. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to give these guys, these new bands, we're giving them a platform to get their out there on another platform. You know, yeah, okay, you can stream so much. You can let people know. You can have your Facebook. But until people see you or yeah, hear right. you or get your yeah. story, they can't associate. They can't relate. You know, yeah. You know, it, it's it's funny. Like, listen to some of these bands. Like, I will never be able to associate with some of these kids that are growing up now that are coming up into the music industry because, like, we talked before we even entered. Before we entered, a lot of these guys got their record uh, deals bought for them. Yeah. Their parents bought them where they're at. They were already rich kids or already well off, and yeah, their parents sure. got them where they're at. Or you know, you know, they. But very few people grassroots it start out bust yeah, their ass right. you know okay what was it was it Greta Van Fleet that was uh um you know didn't do had had a record deal and never did one show or something I think right, it's yeah yeah mm -hmm. how, how the fuck did that happen because somebody bought them fucking you know a record yeah. deal <laughs> sure sure yeah. mm -hmm. so and uh, as I've said before, and I'll say this again, I was like, you can only get so far being the Led Zeppelin cover band. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the shit got old very fast. I, at yeah. first, I was kind of like, man, this is good shit to bring this uh, sound back. And I'm like, wait a minute. There's a reason this sound faded away, because it's fucking repetitive, and this is no different. See, see, <laughs> but but I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, like, the stoner groove metal, like that kind of, like, 70s, like, skater 
you know, throwback rock metal. Sure. But it mm-hmm. doesn't get repetitive because it's it is, you know, yeah, you get fuzzy guitars, you get that, but at least they're not sounding like a pre existing band. Right. So sure. So but I like I said, I'm having fun doing this and I think you will have a ton of fun doing your 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 gig and and uh you know it's it's gonna be really cool. And then you're gonna be at you're over at Camp Zool again, what, June next year? Yeah, it's um we haven't obviously we haven't talked about the date yet. We haven't even had our first meeting yet. Um we're actually gonna sit down and, and we talked about this at the end of the last camp. We're actually going to sit down and start physically planning six months to seven months in advance what happens. Because before it was just kind of, you know, if we book it, they will come. Well, they're coming now. So now, you know, it's a little bit more organization involved. So we, we, we haven't started planning for it yet. That'll be about December-ish, I think. Beginning of December, we're going to start putting together a plan. June is more than likely the date because that's just the month that it seems to work the best. Um, so I would assume so. So when you find out, because my I'm going to run – Piquacon's going to go from two one-day shows to one two-day show. Mm. And we're, we're shooting for June. So let me know and we'll try to... Yeah, I know. <laughs> it keeps happening. Both keep happening. Yeah. <laughs> I can usually only catch one day or like this year. Not at all because it was the yep. same damn day. Yeah, yeah so the next, next year we're not doing that. We're going to make sure that we're... <laughs> <laughs> and if anything... Make sure it's the week after because yeah, then I've got I've got my that. payday, right? I've got my payday, and I can blow it all on your con like I do in your shop. Um, when I'm usually making like fuck, I need to get up to Paul's and uh, he, and, and then I'll then just mess. Paul messages me again. He just I got, got a new, new box. Box. He got a new. He got ten more boxes. That's what he did before we started this fucking thing. He was like, dude, uh, I got ten more boxes. I just bought off somebody. I'm like, shit, shit. <laughs> that's what everybody does it's like god where are you putting all these books i'm like dude i take them to a show or actually my van's full my big van packed full of fucking books right now i was like i'd be screwed if somebody stole that yeah but i am glad because when i if you remember when i first um when i first started coming to your shop it was because i was uh first learning magic and yeah i I was i was playing and everything but i don't know it just it feels like magic is kind of and I'm not taking away from anything away from magic players. I know it's hardcore magic players, especially to come to your shop. Mm-hmm. But for me, as somebody that just started playing, it feels like the game is in kind of a weird transitionary uh, spot almost. Oh, it's um, irritating right now. Yeah, and it, that seems to be the general vibe from a lot of people that play. I mean, obviously, some people magic is their life, and they're going to play even if they put shit on a card. You know, they're still yeah. going to play. Um, but. So it was kind of like, like, and I'm still interested in playing at some point because uh, I've never played physical. It was always on TGM Arena uh, because it was COVID, so I yeah. couldn't play against humans. But that's when I first started coming into your shop. And so I, when I was kind of getting out of it, I was like, man, I need another hobby. I've always wanted to get into comic books. Obviously, you know, I know the backstory or whatever, but I never started reading comics until about a year and a half ago. Now I've got, I think, I think the last time I checked, hang on, I can tell you right now, and I, I can almost guarantee you, 50% of this I bought from your fucking store. So I've got total total comics, 3,277, according to my app. 3,277. I can almost guarantee, like I said, 50% was at your shop yep. of these right here. Well, now imagine if I had stayed into magic. <laughs> 
the financial differences. Dude, I'd be on the corner right now. I wouldn't be doing this podcast right now. I'd be in the corner in Dayton asking people for money. Like, you got any fucking dollars, man? I'm trying to get this song. I'm going to play some magic. I'm going to play some cardboard. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So it would have been even worse. But no, nah, man, it's, I, I like coming to your shop because, A, locally, it's the best deal in town. I mean, you, yeah. your, your stock is usually in the most pristine condition you can find in this area. And financially, having it basically be it's a dollar unless I say otherwise one of the fairest fucking deals I've ever seen since collecting this and hence why I have 3,000 of them right now but it, it, the, the, you can't beat the price you know I consider you a friend so whenever you get something you know I like you yeah. know what it is you message me so that's great too and plus we can just do this we bullshit all the time just like yeah. this it's, it's it's awesome so yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that this, this thing is taken off for you and you're it's cool as fuck that you're getting fan mail from other countries and people are starting to tune in more and more. It's great for someone like me who's starting to come back into this world and putting his face out there again because now I can kind of self-promote myself. And, you know, it's, it's great, man. You're doing good shit. Yep, good. Well, man, I, I'm going to let you go here. I don't want to keep you all, all day. And we can always do more on the other show. Yeah, And uh, anytime you I, need me back, man. Yep, because I'm going to go upstairs and eat dinner because I ain't ate yet today. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> Dude, okay, real fast, and then we'll wrap this up. We just started that keto shit last week, and we're trying to like, um, we're trying to get into the vibe of doing it because this book that Leah got uh, is says like, it's this book that worked for my mom, so my mom did keto, did great for it, mm -hmm. and uh, she gave it to Leah. And this guy says you don't want to go right into keto; you kind of want to like, it's called dirty keto, right? Yeah. So we just started that. And bro, I never knew how badly I'd miss bread before in my life than I do right now, dude. I it is killing me not having bread. I I did I did full keto because I did it wrong. I I was going to lose a shit yeah. ton of weight going into uh, Halloween last year because mm -hmm. I got that Spider Man costume. I was going to take my kid trick or treat <laughs> Spider Man. Fuck, I was going to get right. And so I'm like sitting. There, I'm like, all right. So I would start cutting back going into this, and then right for it. Uh, uh, first month, first week of October, I was like, no fucking carbs. Yeah. So I cut like way back. I did it for a week. That was no bread. I love bread. Well, I don't. Love, I don't eat as much as I used to, but there's no pasta. Yeah. Uh, I cut way no back. No sugar. Yeah. And by Sunday, I felt like shit. Yeah. I was angry. I did not. I'd lost weight. I'd lost like, I don't know, like seven to eight pounds in a week, and. I was like, I don't, I don't like this. I was like, there's gotta be a different way. And so I got off of that. I still go to the gym three days a week. Um, I eat oatmeal in the morning. I usually get a chicken wrap for lunch and then I eat a reasonable meal. Well, yeah. I love hamburgers. That's one of my problems. So I'd always eat two fucking hamburgers every time at dinner. Yeah. Well, I just took, the, the extra hamburger, threw it on the bun with the other one, cut the bun out. So I got yeah. rid of a bun. Um, sometimes, depending on how we prepare the hamburgers, I just don't eat a bun, period. Yeah. You know, and, and I started cutting that back. I started cutting back. Like, if, if I'm hungry, don't eat candy, I get fucking dried fruit. Mm -hmm. I do that shit. And uh, um, as I've been, as I've told people, I was like, when I, when I first started a few years ago, um, I was closing in on 220, 250 pounds, closing in quick. Um, Cause I was, I was lazy. I just, I worked at the shop, so I wasn't real active. Right. And, sure. 
and um, Vince, I couldn't keep up with Vince at all. And um, so I just started working out a little bit. I dropped a lot of weight, like really quickly. So I went from like almost 250 down to like 225. Yeah. Um, then I kind of plateaued for a while. And then I kind of started watching my diet a little bit better. And then I just start cutting back on bread a little bit, just carbs, like not eating that shit all the time like I was. You know, fuck, I'd eat like four sandwiches a day. You know, I'd get up, eat a couple fucking toast in the morning, eat mm-hmm. sandwich at lunch, shit like that. Cut that back. Drop more weight. It was down to like 185-ish. And then I didn't pay attention for a while. I knew I dropped some weight. None of my clothes fit me anymore. Yeah, and uh, all of a sudden, man, one day I walked in the bathroom. I stood on the scale and it said one sixty-seven. Am I like, holy shit? I lost a lot of weight. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 people tell me they're like, well, you did it the right way because a lot of people lose weight really quick, so you get that extra skin. Mm-hmm. And right. so I'm giving my skin time to yeah, sure shrink up and stuff. So I'm I'm looking good. I'm feeling good, and I'm I'm really glad I'm at where I'm at. Instead of being one of the ones where I just like fucking starve myself, you know, or, or right, yeah. you know, work out. And again, like, it's not the way you're supposed to do it. No, that's no, I no, think no. people just they just think, oh, it's just bread and sugar. I'll be okay. Okay, well, go look into how much bread and sugar is in everything. It's because mm-hmm. bread is wheat, so yeah. you can't wheat is a part of that. You, how much shit's got wheat in it? Ninety percent of the food out there. Well, that's so, like yeah. people go. Why well, I, I don't drink pop? I drink juice. You know how much sugars in juice? Yeah, I drink. Mm-hmm. I drink water and tea occasionally I'll buy like a half gallon of orange juice. And I used to drink a half gallon of orange juice in one setting. Yeah. Now, now I drink a half gallon of orange juice over a few days. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't want that amount of sugar in. Um, I don't drink. I can't, I, I do drink energy drinks still sporadically, but even them I get are the ones that are either zero calories. Yeah. That's what I get. Zero sugar. Or whatever. Yeah. And I drink mm-hmm. those and, and yeah. I'm just, I'm healthy and shit. I've got I've got yeah. abs and fucking whoever's right. years old I got abs. <laughs> but we say we say all this because we were both talking about how fucking hungry we are. I'm fucking starving. Yep. Because so of man, this right now. <laughs> you you take there, there's Tina tell me food's done. So, <laughs> so, so man, uh know what I'm saying, brother. No I'm saying, yeah. Dude, dude, homie. So man, um, I got I got this comic. So you want to swing by this week? Just come in. They're in my back of my car. I'm gonna be bringing them in tomorrow at the shop. And um, it's always good talking to you. It's always a blast. Anytime, you know, you're always welcome. One of these days, we're gonna have to go get something to eat. Get all of us to go fucking go dinner. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we're gonna see bro. a band or some shit. So yeah, yeah, for <laughs> so, real. Man, take care. I will see you probably tomorrow. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, either tomorrow or Tuesday. I'm sure. Yep. Thanks, man. I appreciate yep. you. You're welcome, man. Good seeing you and take care until Leah said hi. We'll do, we'll do. Adios. Later. Later.